wonder if you turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, please, in chapter 3. And the message for this morning, the title for it is, As in the Days of Eli. As in the Days of Eli. And basically taking on some of the words that the Lord Jesus spoke. He didn't say, as in the days of Eli. But he says, as in the days of Noah. And in the days of Lot. So it's going to be in the last days. And what I've done is just taken that little phrase, as in the days, and just applied it to Eli because I believe there's a striking resemblance between where we are as a nation and as a church compared with the days of Eli, the priesthood and the nation. And I believe we really need to have our eyes open to this. May the Lord help us. So I'm going to read a few verses from 1 Samuel chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called it as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house, from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever, for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning, and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, Here I am. And he said, What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me 
of all the things which he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything, and he had nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Amen. We live in days that are increasingly getting darker, don't we? We find that there is much wickedness around about us. We are seeing so much that is turning us away from God, all about. And we're seeing even in our day within the church as was prayed just beforehand, that we are not where we should be as the people of God. And there is a need for a seeing of our own condition before God. And the condition of Israel at the time of Eli was in a bad place. We find that there was very little spiritual awareness and the house of God was being treated wrongly by the priests. And we find really in what we read about Israel in the days of Eli, a striking resemblance to where we are as a people of God in this nation and as a nation itself. You see, the Israelites knew the Lord. They'd had a history with God. And Great Britain has had a history with God. There's no doubt about it. We have a Christian heritage that is really, as it were, second to none. The way the Lord has moved in our nation in the past is quite extraordinary. And if you actually read the accounts and the history of the way that God has moved in our country, particularly over the last four, five hundred, five hundred, six hundred years, it's astonishing. It gets more incredible the more you read about what God has done in this nation. And the men of God that the Lord raised up, it wasn't just one or two, there was many, 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 many. Preachers, leaders, speakers, those with prophetic awareness and understanding. In the past, the church really knew what it was to have sway in the nation, and there was light in the land. But we live in a day now where things are getting darker and darker, and the problem with things getting darker by degrees is you don't notice it. And we're in an area of darkness now within our land that, that we can become accustomed to the light of. I remember hearing a message by Vance Havner, a famous American preacher of the last century. And he tells a story of a time that a friend of his took him to a restaurant. 
And the restaurant was underground level, so they had to go down these stairs into a form of like a cave. And he said it was really dark in there. I could hardly see where I was going. And he said I was sort of needed a flashlight to see the menu. And, he ends, and then he said, when the meal came, I ate by faith and not by sight. <laughs> um, he basically said it was so dark. But anyway, after a period of time, he could see a little bit better. And his friend who was opposite him at the meal said, isn't it funny, Vance? You know, after a while you get accustomed to the dark, don't you? And he said, you've just given me my next message. And he preached his message, it's become one of the most famous messages he preached. Coming accustomed to the dark. What do we mean by that, spiritually speaking? We mean by that things like this. Sin that shocked your parents no longer shocks you. Not to even say that your parents were believers. But the sin that once shocked them no longer shocks you. We get used to the dark. Immorality was considered a no-no in the nation, at least openly. Obviously there's a measure of hypocrisy in that people would get into immorality, but behind closed doors as it were in past generations. But at least there was a realisation that it was wrong and people were ashamed of themselves openly. People are no longer ashamed of themselves openly. We've got used to the dark. And we find that in our television sets that certain adverts that are on the television now, in generations past, would have shocked us and a plethora, a number of people would have rung up the BBC or rather the ITV channels to complain about the content of these adverts. Now we're just used to it. It's the norm. The problem with things becoming the norm is that Christians get normalised by the sins themselves. And so you find now that immorality is more and more creeping into the church. You find adultery is in the church. There's many things I could say, but I have to bear in mind the kind of congregation I've got with me this morning. But I'm telling you, friends, there's things that are going on within the church now that we have allowed to come in because it's normal in the world and we've got just accustomed to it. Understand? Sin no longer shocks us. The conscience of this nation has been lulled to sleep over a scheme by the powers of darkness that gently rocked us to sleep in our sin over a period of years. We normalise what is abnormal. And what is abnormal we call normal. What is wicked we call good, and what is good we call wicked. This is where we're at as a nation. The problem is this kind of spirit, this kind of worldliness has crept into the church. Things have got dark, haven't they? And that's exactly where they were in the time of Eli the high priest. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. 
and verse 1. It describes the condition of the people of Israel in the day of Eli, the high priest. What does it say? Just taking from the second sentence of the first verse. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Okay. This is another sign, or this is rather a sign, of the condition of the people of Israel and the priesthood, particularly at this time. The word of the Lord was rare. Now that's exactly the way we see things in our day, isn't it? The word of the Lord is rare in Britain. And that's the result of there being darkness in the land. You see, when, there's, when people turn away from God, and when there's sin in the nation, the Lord can't just look on, on, look on and continue to bless that nation as it once was blessed. And you find that often when Israel as a nation began to sin against God, what the Lord would do is distance himself from them. He'd distance himself from his people. They were still his people. But it's as though the heavens were as brass. It's as though heaven was shut up to the people of God because they weren't in a place to hear the word of God. And they didn't want to hear it by and large. And the word of the Lord was rare in the time of Eli the high priest. You know, the scriptures are clear that when the people of God rebel, the Lord is not going to bless them with his word in the same way. You know, it says in Psalm 74 and verse 9 these words, We do not see our signs there is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. There's not a seeing of the days we're living in. There's darkness in the land. I think of um, Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 9. Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 9, we read these words. Speaking of Jerusalem, and it's about the Lord's anger over Jerusalem. He goes on to say in verse 9, Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that exactly where we find ourselves in these days? The word of the Lord is rare in our day. We have so many Bibles in our day, but can we find those who know what the Lord is saying in our day? Can we find those who know how to handle the word of God in relation to the days we're living in for the people of God? Where is the light? It's rare, isn't it? We don't see our signs there is no longer any prophet. And the problem is, what happens is, when the word of the Lord is rare, we get into more trouble. Because the word of God says, in Proverbs chapter 29, and verse... Um, no, I can't find it. It's not verse 11. Um, but it says... The, the, the verse I'm looking for, maybe one of you can find it for me. It says, without a vision, the people... Perish. 18, 18, thank you. Verse 18. 
where there is no revelation, that means no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And if you can imagine what was going on when Moses was up on the mountain, where the people were before the golden calf, that's a good illustration of what means casting off restraint. That's where we can get as the people of God, where there's all kinds of things going on within the house of God which are idolatrous, not of God. And immorality comes in on that. All kinds of wrong practices come in because there is no revelation. Without prophetic vision, the people perish. But the people are in trouble because because of their rebellion, the Lord withholds His blessing. And so we see it's in a, the people of God can end up in a very dangerous place. And we need the Lord to bring us back to Himself, don't we? Well, going back to 1 Samuel chapter 3, the verse goes on to say, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. There was no widespread revelation. There was no seeing. Where is the seeing? Where is the vision? You know, every one of us, we need the Lord to open our eyes, don't we? We need the Lord to show us where we are as the people of God concerning our own lives. But we also need the Lord to open our eyes to where we are as a church and as a nation. And we find within this particular passage, the Lord was not giving widespread revelation. And we are living in the same condition in the church in our land today. There is very little revelation. People are not seeing things spiritually. Some of the things that have come on during this lockdown um, time from churches is seriously worrying. It concerns me that we seem to be so far off the pace of what is really happening. We don't understand what God is doing. We don't understand what the enemy is up to. We seem to be, in a sense, blind to the days that we're living in. We're not like the sons of Issachar who knew the signs of the times and what Israel ought to do about them. We are without vision. There is a lack of sin, there's a lack of light. And in this way, we are like the people of Israel in the day of Eli, the high priest. We haven't got the word of God really being spoken in the power of the Spirit and the illumination of the Spirit to the people of God. We're not seeing the way God sees. Well, I don't think we're even asking God in many quarters to show us what He's been doing over the last four or five months. It's almost as though we, we just carry on life the way we've always gone about it. But whenever the Lord does something, it's for a purpose. And if God's not speaking to us as a church generally, we're not hearing His voice, then we need to be pleading with God, why is this? At least inquiring of God. Why are we not hearing from you? Maybe in your own life. You need to ask the Lord, Lord, I'm not hearing from you. The Word is, is, is silent to me. The Scriptures are not opening to me. And I feel that I'm not getting through. There's some distance between us. Show me what's going on. And if you mean business with God, you can be absolutely sure the Lord means business with you. And He will not mess you about. He's faithful to show you your need and condition out of His love for you. Out of His grace, out of His compassion. Because He wants to reveal His will. But sometimes when there's a lack of revelation in the church, and when there's a lack of the Word of God, 
being spoken in the land, it's because the Lord has brought us under a measure of judgment, in a sense is showing us a measure of his displeasure in the way we are acting as the people of God. Would to God that we'd see it, and that our eyes would be opened to these things. What is it to us, friends? What is it to us if the Lord isn't bringing his word clearly? Think about previous generations. I often refer back to them, but if you look at the Puritans, we can name name after name after name after name of men in the pulpit who preached the Word of God faithfully and had an incredible knowledge of the Scriptures. Vast understanding of the Scriptures, an understanding of the days they lived in. Think of the John Bunyans, Thomas Watson, Thomas Brooks, Thomas Goodwin, all these men of God round about the same time. And then you have your George Whitfield and your John Wesley's and many names that we don't even know of that were great ministers of the Lord. I came across one just recently. Never heard of him in my life. But I read some of his writings and it was alive with Christ and amazing writings. All, all in this country. 1700s, 1800s, your J.C. Rawls, your... You had Spurgeon, you had so many ministers of God. But it's become less and less and less until we're in a place now within the church in this nation and you have to ask, Oh God of heaven, where are the leaders? Where are the preachers? of authority with God. Where are the shepherds? Where are the Bible teachers? There's no judge in Israel and everybody's doing what is right in his own eyes. That's the way it comes across, doesn't it? I'm generalizing, of course. But when you look at our history and you look at where we've come to, why is it like this? And then, you look at Israel's history. You think of what God did with the people of Israel. They brought them out of Egypt. They gave them incredible miracles. They raised up. The Lord gave them Moses. And Joshua. And yet the nation was in spiritual decline. The danger is we get accustomed to things. Are we aware of the life we have? Are we holding on to it? Is it precious to us? The problem with us, naturally speaking, is men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds are evil. We run to darkness and hide in it. But the Lord must have longed for a return on the seed that he sowed in our land. And when we think of this priesthood, Eli, he knew the Lord. What had gone wrong?
there was spiritual decline. We are living in very similar days to the days of Eli, friends. And the question is, how do we respond? And what is the Lord looking for? And what is the Lord going to do? Because we can't do anything about our own condition of ourselves. But you know the Lord in a day of declension raises up an instrument, a work, to bring his people back to himself. That's the way God works. That's the way he's working in one Samuel. We're looking through this. He is going to deal with the darkness and bring in an instrument to bring the people back to God. That's the purpose of what happens in this early chapters of 1 Samuel. So we read that there was the word of the Lord was rare, there was no widespread revelation, and it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the Lamb of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord caused Samuel. There's a lot of description there. There's a lot in that. What do we read about Eli? He was lying down in his place and his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. Now that's talking about his physical condition. You can read it a little bit later, chapter or so on about Eli's condition, that his eyes were blind, he could not see really because of his age, but it also represented his spiritual condition. You see, he'd grown dim. He couldn't see the way he could see in the past. What is your spiritual eyesight like? Is it sharp? Or are you a bit blurry around the edges? Are you seeing things clearly through the understanding of the Word of God by means of the Spirit's illumination or are you somehow blurred vision? Eli's eyes have begun to grow so dim that he could not see. This is extraordinary. But that's the condition we can get in. And here's a man who is meant to lead the people of God into a deep walk with God and bring the people in line with the purposes of God. It's the high priest, he should be the man who really sets the example to those under him. And unfortunately, we find that his eyes had grown dim. How spiritually do you see what's happening around about you? Are you aware by means of the Spirit of God, of the condition of the church. Are you aware of the condition of our nation? Are you understanding what's going on about you as best you can by the Spirit of God concerning what's the legislation in our land, concerning what's happening all around about us? What about concerning in the church? Or even closer back still, what about your own heart? 
You see, we cannot understand ourselves of ourselves. We need the Lord to do the seeing for us. And it's only when the Lord exposes to you a certain area of your heart condition that you will really be able to see that simple what it is. Otherwise, your own heart will deceive you over yourself. And you'll think you're something other than you really are. There is a need for us to go to the Lord and buy while we still can. Time is short. How clearly you see him spiritually? Do you perceive him? I'm not saying these things to condemn you. And nor with the Lord. He doesn't want to bash his people over the head, as it were, with a hammer in an aggressive sort of manner. But it's a vital thing that you see clearly. Eli had basically gone, gone blind. How many of us, how many in the church leaders once saw things quite perceptibly, but now they've just gone with the flow? Or something's got in, some area of compromise has got in. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to show you the condition of his church. Ask the Lord to give you his heart for his church. I want to say this, if you have the heart of God for the church, you'll never become a railer or simply a pointing at the figure and an accuser. When we really see things the way that God sees things, it will lead us to weeping. That's what it will do. That's what it will do. Eli was lying down in his own place and his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was. Well, where it was for now. But the ark of God wasn't staying there for much longer. And the ark represents the presence of God amongst his people. And it was soon to be taken. But for this moment, the ark of God was there. And we read in this particular passage that the lamp of God had nearly, as it were, gone out. Now, when you look at Exodus chapter 20, so at Exodus 27, and verse 20. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, 
Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to the generations on behalf of the children of Israel. Israel. The lamp had to be continually tended so that it didn't go out. And in this particular point in the night, it's as though the lamp is about ready to go out. But it's tremendously descriptive of what was going on in the land. And what was going on in the house of God. The lamp was in danger of going out. And that's what is happening within our nation. Within our nation, friends, it's as though the lamp, the testimony, is in danger of being removed. There's so little light left. If only we could see where we're at, spiritually speaking. To some I would be seen as being speaking things way over the top. This is just too dramatic. Well friends, if it's too dramatic, my fear is that we've grown accustomed to the dark. The truth of the matter is before us, the paganism, the atheism, Islam, all kinds of things are all around in the nation. And the church in some areas is being taken in. To compromise, to ecumenicism, every, just slowly but surely, the testimony. Where is the light of the testimony? It's in danger of going out. It's really in danger of going out. I'm reminded of the time that Latimer and Ridley were going to be burnt at the stake for the testimony of Jesus Christ in the nation. And Latimer says to Ridley, play the man. I'm paraphrasing it, but he says something like this. Play the man, Ridley, for we shall light a candle in our day that I trust will never go out. But the truth is, it's in danger of going out. Brothers and sisters across this land, friends, our, those who went before us in the faith, set their bodies alight by the grace of God that the gospel didn't go out in our land. And we've just lived off the good and fat of the land that they won for us at the cost of their blood. And that's why the darkness has been able to get in so easily. Friends, it wasn't just ministers and famous leaders that lost their lives for the preservation of the gospel in this land. It's your normal shoemaker that was willing to stand for the gospel in England that cost him his life because he wasn't willing to side with transubstantiation and other Catholic doctrines. But now we go in with these groups. When you get this coming in of different religions, the light is lost. It can only shine if it's single, it's pure. If you mix that with other things, the law will not burn in and through us. There's compromise. The lampstand in the Word of God speaks to us of the Lord Jesus speaks to us of his finished work. 
and the lamps. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It speaks in many ways of the word of God, but it also speaks of the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. And my fear is, dear friends, that with all our strange practices we brought into the house of God, we've grieved the Spirit of God out of the church. When the Lord was doing so much amongst us over the last 60 years, we are losing so much at a pace. And it's as though the Lord would say, is it nothing to you? You who pass by this way. I mean, people will come to this nation and be shocked by it, thinking it was a Christian nation. You get people coming from Africa, they come to Britain, they can't believe it. And you just wonder what was happening in the time of Eli. Was there anybody crying out to God? Was anybody saying, Lord, where are the leaders? Why is there such darkness? Why is there such bankruptcy? Why are we so far from hearing your voice? Why, why, why? I just wonder, must it not grieve the Lord that we never ask Him? How bad does it have to get? How disfigured does the face of this nation have to become before the people of God are affected by it? We see Islam, we see the militant LGBT movement all gaining ground everywhere and into the church buildings. And it's as though we're under a spirit of slumber within the church. The darkness has lulled us to sleep. We're just comfortable now. We're comfortable to just disagree with it privately. But there's no aching over the fact that multitudes have been gripped by wrong spirits that are leading them into hell. And our nation is being taken by philosophies and agendas that are so contrary to the reformation the Lord gave this country. When we look back at 1 Samuel chapter 3, turn back there with me please, 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says that the Lamp of God, it was before the Lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the Ark of God was. We should be crying to God in these days. Give me oil in my lamp, Lord. Keep me burning. We're coming towards the end. Things are beginning to fold up, as it were. Coming towards the end. Have you the oil? Are you buying up what is precious? Are you aware of the lack of oil within the house of God? I'm not talking about any denomination. I'm saying about generally as the church, where is the oil? Where, where are those who see the word of God spiritually? Who are not just giving good sermons out, but actually the Lord is showing them through the word of God where we're at. 
This is what we need in our own lives. You need this. You need to be feeding on the Word of God. If you're not feeding on the Word of God, you're going to find the dryness is going to come into your life. You're going to become weak and vulnerable to other winds of doctrine if they haven't got it already. You need that Word of God going deep in you. It's meditation that matters. Are you meditating, friends? Is the Spirit of God taking the Scriptures to you? Is He your number one teacher? And if you're not, why not face up to it? Don't go into a sense of denial over it. Just say, Lord, I'm not hearing from you. Open the Word to me. And if you haven't even got a desire to do that, cry out to God for the desire to come. Because time is short. We've seen the condition of Eli in 1 Samuel 3. But it wasn't just him. Big problems with his sons. If you turn back a chapter to chapter 2, and you go from verse 12, have a look at these words. Chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan, or kettle, or cauldron, or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh had brought up. So they did in Shiloh, in all the Is sorry, to all the Israelites who came there. Also before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for the roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Wow. You see, they were mishandling spiritual things within the house of God. We can go into more detail, but we haven't time anyway. But the fact is that these priests, who should have been giving the fact to the Lord, were taking it to themselves, and the food that was meant to be for the people who brought the sacrifice, they were taking to themselves and giving to the priests. The whole thing was a sham. It's an absolute nightmare. And the people were there not wanting to bring their sacrifice. That it, it just there was so much darkness within the house of the Lord. And Eli didn't deal with it. He didn't deal with his sons. Now this is something that is so extraordinary, isn't it? How Eli, you find, once the Lord speaks to Samuel, Samuel tells Eli the vision, the word that the Lord gives to Samuel. And Eli says, it is the word of the Lord. Now we all sort of look at that and we think, well that's good. Eli acknowledged, even though the word of prophecy was against him, that it was the word of the Lord that the Lord was giving him. Isn't that a good thing? He agreed with what God said. 
And really we feel like tearing our hair out. Eli, you've just been judged by God. And all you can say is, it is good, it's of the Lord. The man should have been on his knees. Should have been weeping before God. How wickedly we have done. How we profane the Lord's name. How it is. You see what I mean, dear friends? You and I can be good evangelicals. We can say the right things with Eli. Eli agreed with what God had said. But where's the brokenness? Where's the getting before God over such a sin? And saying, Oh Lord, we have so despised your name. Even Eli at times says, no, my sons, what you're doing is wrong. But he doesn't deal with it. It's the dealing with sin that counts. Not the agreeing that it's wrong. The devil knows that sin's wrong. The Lord's not asking you to agree with him over what he thinks of you. He's really not. He's asking you to do something about it. When the Lord speaks to me about my sin, it's no good me saying, yes, I agree with you, Lord. Amen. And then just carry on the way I'm living before. Or whatever. I need to allow the word to take effect in my heart. So that I might be changed. That's the key. Change is the issue. The key is, where is the fruit of the repentance? Zacchaeus to me is the prime example of a repentant man in the word of God. He doesn't say, yes, you're right, Lord, I've done things wrong. He says, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to give them back four times as much as I've taken from them. And then the Lord Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. You see, it's the response. Zacchaeus didn't need to give four times as much. But it's an expression that what he was saying was genuine. See, repentance, you want to go overboard the other way, really. You want to really put things right. I had a friend of mine that had to do something which was really difficult for him. But where he'd stolen from many shops before he became a Christian, he went back to all of them. And put right with them all things he'd done wrong. That's repentance. So we come to a close. What do we feel about this? What is the answer for us? Had God finished with the people of Israel? This is the amazing thing. This is the amazing thing. God had every right. You can't tell me otherwise. That with a priesthood like that, he destroys everything. You get a priesthood that's so far gone and just kicks at the sacrifice. They deserve to be totally wiped out. We have such weak leadership, don't we not, today? Within the church we have those that are now kicking against the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 50, 60 years ago you'd never say that it was possible for such things to happen in the evangelical church. 
But over the last 20 years, it's crept in. And now people are denying the, substitute, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. And they say that it's treating God as though he's a cosmic child abuser in sacrificing his son to set people free. That is 100% blasphemy. That man who said that is a blasphemer. And he needs to repent. Oh, God have mercy on him. God have mercy on him. The moment you touch on the penal substitution of Jesus Christ, if you get rid of that, there's nothing left. Because there's no sacrifice for sins anymore. You are still in your sins if Jesus Christ did not take the wrath of God upon himself for you. You see, it's because we've got such a wrong view of God that we come to such wrong conclusions about the word. How can anybody say that substitutionary atonement is like this? Because they have a view of a God that is only lovely, is loving, is kind, he would never hurt a fly. But I want to tell you this, friends. If God does not punish your sin somehow, and then he lets you into heaven, how can he be righteous? He can't be righteous. So this person and these people who teach these doctrines, they must believe that God doesn't have a love of righteousness. That's my only conclusion. We have people now, there's somebody who's written a book, opposing Jonathan Edwards' book, the sermon in the 1700s. He wrote a, he did a famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. As a result of that sermon, he went into one of the hardest places where this church was resistant to the word of God. And God gave him this message to a hardened people to the point that during the sermon they were holding on to the pillars of the, uh, of the building because they were fearing they were falling into hell. And there's people today that have written another book Sinners in the hands of a loving God. I wonder how many people have come through to salvation, genuine salvation, because they took Jonathan Edwards' book up and they were read it and they were convicted of their sin. It's loving to show people they're in sin. It's loving to show them they're on their way to hell. It's loving if you do it in a right spirit. But you see, this is where we've come to. What do we do? We're like those in the days of Eli. What do we do? In the midst of a people that have gone astray, God raises up 
a Samuel who would hear the voice of the Lord. There's so few who hear the voice of the Lord and who spend hours on their knees to hear the word of the Lord. Do you? Do I? Samuel was God's instrument in a day of declension. God raises him up and we read at the end of chapter 3 that he grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. He was a man who had authority with God. Why did God do this? Because his mercy is everlasting. Because he has a covenant with his people. He says in Hosea, I taught Ephraim to walk. I just can't do anything with him. But how can I give him up? That's God's heart. You know what it's like to have a rebellious child. God knows before you. God knows what it has is to have his heart broken over a wayward son. But in the midst of the rebellion, God does something with a woman called Hannah. God closes her womb. She's married to Arcana, but also Penina is married to Arcana. And Penina can have lots of children, but the Lord shut Hannah's womb so she couldn't have any children. And Penina used to provoke Hannah over it. And they go up to the house of the Lord. And Hannah, at one point, just couldn't eat. She just wouldn't touch anything. And Elkanah, her husband, who showed preference to Hannah, he loved Hannah, says, Am I, do I not mean more to you than ten sons? You see, Elkanah showed preference to Hannah. Is my love, does it not mean more to you? than the gift of these sons. After the meal, Hannah rises up and she sets herself to prayer. And she pleads with God. She gets into prayer before God. And she says, if you give me a son, I'll lend him to you forever. He's yours. And then Eli misjudges Hannah's attitude. Oh, how easily we misjudge people. He thought she was drunk, didn't perceive that God was doing something in this woman to bring fruit, to bring the nation back to God. He couldn't perceive it. And then she pleads with God and Eli sends her on her way with a blessing and Elkanah takes his wife he knows her and she becomes pregnant with Samuel one of the greatest servants of God isn't it amazing but before the Lord 
could bring forth Samuel. He had to do something profound in Hannah. He had to make a ban. He deliberately restrained her from fruitfulness, natural ability, to bring her to such intercession, such prayer. to ultimately bring forth a Samuel to hearken. And Samuel is given to the Lord and he lives in the house of God from very young. And in the day of decline where the priest and no one was really hearing from God, the Lord speaks to a little boy and gives him the word of God. So few were hearing, thank God for the prophet who spoke to him, but so few were hearing. God raises Samuel up. And Samuel is the man who is used of God to anoint King David. The Lord wants intercessors. The Lord is looking to make Hannah's of us. Where we cannot be satisfied with the barrenness in the church. Samuel, somewhere, has to come forth. Fruit has to come. But, dear friends, remember this. Samuel was one man. He became a great intercessor for the people of Israel. He stood before God on behalf of the people of Israel. He was a great intercessor himself. And the Lord did a work. But let me end with this. Eli's sons were killed. God judged them. God judged Eli's house. Eli died falling back off his chair. And the ark of God was taken from the house of God. The presence of God. No longer in the house of God. And one of them had a, his wife had a child and called the child Ichabod. The glory has departed. What is it to us? But that's the old. You see, it's almost like the glory is gone. The old has gone. It's a bit like Saul's house and David's house. Saul's house had to diminish for David's house to come to the fore. Eli's house had to diminish so that Samuel could come to the fore. All that's gone in our nation, the old systems, our religiousness. Saul's house, Eli's house, it's on the decline. It's losing by the day. 
God's wanting to raise up a house in our day of men like Samuel and women like Hannah. Where are the intercessors? Do you want to see the building up of a people of God that know God is the Eli's sons did not know God. Don't don't doesn't mean they didn't know about him. They were in the they were in the house of God. They knew everything about God. But they didn't know God. I believe that a lot of what has been that has been found out is on the demise. Don't try to resurrect it. God wants to raise up something in our day. In the day of declension. God has an answer. Who's going to be in his remnant? Not our remnant. We don't define the lines of the remnant. Who's going to be in his remnant? A people that will be raised up whose words will not fall to the ground. What about you and me? You see, we have the priesthood of all believers today. We are all called to preach priests in the house of God. Do you hear the Lord? Or is he a religion to you? I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm talking about through the word of God primarily. Do you hear him speak to you by the Spirit? Are you hearing his voice? We don't want to be part of Eli's system now. Everything that's compromised and, and giving way to other religions coming into the house of God and all that's apostate. God deliver us from being a part of it. But bring us into something new, Lord. Surely you have a work in these days, in a day of declension, to bring the people of God back to God. That's what we need. That's what we need. May the Lord help us. I don't know about you, but I feel there's a propensity in my heart so easy for coldness to come in. I just have to be still, stagnant, spiritually, and my heart can wane. Do you remember how the hymn writer put it? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. I'm not talking about apostasy, I just simply mean getting cold. We need the oil. You personally need the oil. You're living in dark days. Don't hold back from God. Whatever He requires of you, He will show you. And His commandments are not burdensome. <coughs> Just come before Him. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. For we have a God who does not lie. Trust Him. And may it be, not only for the sake of our forefathers who gave their lives for this land, but the sake for the sake of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and did bear the wrath of God for our sin. 
the cross shows you how angry God was with that sin. And the cross shows you somebody else stood in the way of God's judgment on your behalf. And it's the very Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. May the Lord help us. May we see the ark of God back in the house of God. May we see something of God's glory in his house again. Not for our praise, but for his glory. Let your work appear to us, O Lord, and your glory to our children. Friends, your children, your children, even if you don't have children, you have children, believe me, in the house of God. They're being taught lies. They're being taught deception in schools and various places. Fight for them. Pray that the glory comes to Shiloh. That our children may see that the God that we worship is real. And then the atheist's mouth will be closed. And then you continue will have to stop its mouth and demons will tremble and revival will come. We need a revival. We need a revival. We need a reformation. We need a change. We need to call on God to effect it. So that the darkness no longer is light to us. But in the light of Christ, the darkness has to go. Or have to be removed. As the gospel is preached in the power of the Spirit. May the Lord raise up a work in our day. For his praise in this land that wants new favour. May we call on God for his favour again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray, dear friends. Dear Father, as we finish this time together, I'm just so acutely aware of my own need to the things that I've preached about this morning. So far be it from me, Lord, to point the finger at my brothers and sisters and not openly before them, before you, ask of you, Lord, to take out from me anything that would hinder your sway in my life. Please give us a burden Please soften our hearts. Please deliver us from indifference. Please give us the prayer of Hannah. Lord, help us.
to intercede. Help us, O oh God, because we can't do it of ourselves. Lord, if all of us were to try and take this message on in our flesh, we'd fall flat on our face, we'd get nowhere. Lord, I don't ask any of us to strain in our flesh, Lord. We are saying we are dependent on you. Please help us. So that in this land, your son might have his inheritance. Oh God, we've heard so much about this movement, about that movement, about the increase of this thing and that thing. Oh, would to God for an increase of the gospel. Would to God of the glory of the Lord filling his house and sinners coming to repentance. Lord, do it. Do it with our Catholic friends. Do it with our friends caught in Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and atheism. Oh, God. Please, in a day of decline, we're so sorry for what we've made of your church. We point the finger at no other but ourselves, really. But we ask of you, Lord, restore the honour of your name in works of sovereign power. Come shake us again, O Lord, that men may see and come in reverent fear to the living God, whose kingdom shall last the years. Be glorified in Great Britain, O God. Raise your church up again, we ask. Keep with us all that has been of you for us to hear. And where there's been the imperfections of myself in the way, cleanse me, Lord. And please, don't let it hinder people from hearing what you want to say to them this morning. We commit ourselves to you and we thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.